Hey. Hey. Hey, man. Hey, Jerry. What's doing? Nothing. What's doing with you? Same old, same old. George, this is Mickey. Hi. Nice to meet you. Pleasure. Thank you. Oh, how's work going, you guys? Let's not even talk about it. You got a job? Yeah, Mickey, he hooked me up. We're stand-ins for the actors on All My Children. Mickey, he's a stand-in for an eight-year-old kid, and I stand in for the kid's father. But I got a big problem. The kid I stand in for, he's growing. He was four feet last month. Now he's like four, two and a half. He shot up two and a half inches. I could do four, two. Four, three's a stretch. Any higher than that, I'm gonna be out of my ass doing that paralegal crap. How do you stop a kid from growing? I told you, you should offer him some cigarettes. I offered him cigarettes, but his stupid mother's always hanging around. She won't let him have any. What about lifts? Out of the question. Can't you just switch with another midget? It's little people. You got that? Easy, Mickey. Easy. Hello, and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we welcome Danny Woodburn. Danny has appeared in a number of films and TV shows, including Watchmen, Jingle All the Way, The Bold and the Beautiful, Mirror Mirror, Bones, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But Seinfeld fans will always love him for playing the legendary Mickey Abbott in seven episodes of the series. And we're so honored he can join us today. Thank you for being with us, Danny. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. We're so excited to talk to you. So take us back to 1993. How did the role on Seinfeld first come about? Um, well, the, uh, legend has it that uh, Larry, you know, sort of delved into this idea because you know little people do a lot of stand-in work in hollywood it's not it's not uncommon to see you know a handful of little people on a on a show with with kids and i think he just thought that perspective was interesting and uh, so he wrote the stand-in episode uh, i went in i auditioned for the casting assistant at the time brian myers and then went back uh, and auditioned the second time for mark hirschfeld the the main casting director. Uh, so the room basically gets bigger and bigger as you go through, right? So the casting assistant is a little tiny office, and, the, and then Mark Hirschfeld's office is much bigger. And then um, the next stage was to audition for Larry uh, with Mark on the CBS Radford lot in Studio City. And, uh, I, you know, there was, some, there was some problems I had, actually, with the original uh, wording and use of the word midget. I it's an offensive word, and so I had a, a great deal of uh, zurus angst about addressing it in the room with Jerry and Larry. Um, uh, and I sort of went on a, a – I had already talked to the casting assistant. I already talked to the casting director, and I gave them my two cents about how I would address it. And they said, yeah, go with that so they understand. So I sort of – in that moment where George's character says, can't you switch with another midget, I – um. I sort of go on this sort of diatribe <laughs> in in the audition space, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, that's not going to work, um, but we'll figure out something, uh, you know, should this role go to you?" Because as they say many many times, there's never been a very special episode of Seinfeld, and there shouldn't be because everybody's just sort of a misery on that show. And um, <laughs> so so uh, 
basically after my audition, which they all laughed at, they sent me into the inner office space instead of the outer office space where the other actors were waiting to do their auditions. And uh, I thought that's a good sign. <laughs> and so they they went through the other actors and I saw them come and go back out to the outer office. So I thought, OK, I'll just sit here and wait and see what happens. And then Larry came out, told me that the job is mine and we're going to go straight to the table read. And uh, so that was a very exciting moment in this young actor's career uh, because this is my first sitcom um, and it happens to be this show, which at the time, you know, we were in season five, I think at this point, four or five. And, um, you know, they're already getting numbers like, you know, like what we see today, Super Bowl numbers. You know what I mean? They're already getting 22 million viewers a night. And so that's like crazy, you know, number one show on television. And this is my first job in terms of a sitcom. And uh, went went to the stage and did the table read. Now, the way the sitcom works, you probably know this. You rehearse for four days. You do camera blocking uh, on the on the fourth day. And then uh, you run through everything on the fifth day and then shoot the fifth night. And so the first day is just most mostly getting around the table, going through the dialogue. But in that in those first beats with Mickey and Kramer going at it, we both both Michael Richards and I sort of leaped at each other over the table. And that sort of brought the house down to they thought, okay, we got something here, you know, between these two guys. And and Michael was like right away committing because he's he's that kind of guy just right away committing to that energy of of, you know, wanting to throw down with me even across the table, even at the table read. So that 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 lent us to really have a great chemistry. I feel Michael and I worked really well together. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that would be like, hey, Danny, uh, why don't we rehearse this scene? Why don't we rehearse this scene? Like so the way you normally rehearse a sitcom, because I had worked on other sitcoms and crew doing stand and work and uh, nobody ever rehearses <laughs> their scenes when it's not time to rehearse your scene. But Michael was like, let's rehearse. And so that also added to our chemistry. And, uh, you know, all week we we're we we're doing all these different ways to do the fight sequences. And, you know, in the script, it's written that I'm on his back and he's spinning around. And I'm just I was uncomfortable with that because I thought it made Mickey out to be sort of animalistic. And I was like a trope around little people, men. Right. So I was like, can we just face off mano y mano? That, that just felt better to me than making it sort of a spectacle. And uh, and that's what you see in those first beats where we go. You want to throw? Let's throw. You know, that that first beat. Um, and Michael grabs my jacket collar and I grab him and I'm essentially just holding on for dear life. And he is <laughs> it looks like I'm throwing him around, but he's moving his body and moving mine at the same time, but keeping me from falling down. And I'm just <laughs> hanging on for dear life. So when you watch that show, just know that I'm like I'm terrified. I'm hanging on to him, to, you know, just to keep from falling. Uh, and it goes back to this very basic acting exercise of staccato and legato so when we break free he's all way up here and i'm all way down here you know and i just think that chemistry that we had together was just born out of all of that work those rehearsals and that camaraderie that we had right away so in that original script you said you're like you were climbing all over kramer so what did you pull larry aside yeah. and say like i'm not really comfortable with this can you change this around a little yeah, bit I about it. I talked to Michael about it so he could sort of be an advocate for me as well. And then, yeah, I, I talked to Jerry because um, Jerry was very, you know, very open to all these suggestions and he knew I was uncomfortable with the use of the word midget in the script. Um, and I, I just never let it go in my career without addressing it. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll figure something else out. And so that's why that became this sort of, mon- you know, we're fighting as equals all the time. And that, I think, really worked for the this, you know, the classic Mutt and Jeff appearance of the two of us. I don't know if you guys know the Mutt and Jeff reference, but uh, it's an old comic strip of a big guy and a little guy. Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, I took them aside and they're like, yeah, we'll just do this, you know, and that's what we ended up doing. And then for the for the line about the where George, who's George is going to be the guy that says the, the N word. Right. He's going to be that guy no matter what, because he's awkward and inappropriate all the time. And then Jerry reacts. You see him go, ooh, you know, like, ooh, don't say that, you know, uh, without giving away too much. And then it, that comes to the slow burn turn on, you know, that immediate like, you know. Um, so he was like, we need to find a happy medium here where it's it's funny but not aggressive. Um, and so that's that's what we came up with. He said, do like a quick take and then a slow burn and we'll go from there. And that's how that rolled out, you know, where I tell him it's little people. You got that. And and then Michael improvises the line. Easy, Mickey, easy. Right. So <laughs> that he improvised that line and that establishes Mickey as like the guy who will rip you apart at the drop of a hat. And I think that after that, it was all like, when can we see them fight? You know what I mean? Right. And I think it, it all comes from Michael improvising that one line in that one moment. And that just so you know, that that take that I do at the counter where I go, you know, when he says the word, uh, I always say that's that's all Danny DeVito right there. That's just total Danny DeVito take. So you sort of steal from the greats, you know. (laughs) And going back to when you and Michael were grabbing each other at the table read, was that something that you guys planned ahead of time or did that just happen in the moment? It came out of the moment. We looked at each other and I stood up, he stood up and then I reached for him. He reached, you know, it just it just sort of built into the tension. And then you know, we're surrounded by, you know, the networks and the and all the all the guys, guys and gals from the writer's room. Uh, and they all just sort of lost it. And that, that was like like another great seal for the Mickey character to return, you know, seeing that rapport. Um, so would Michael get even more physical during shoot night? <laughs> that's funny because you know we're backstage about to do this fight sequence and it's dark backstage we're about to go out live studio audience we're about to go out and do this bit um where i tackle him and i look over and he's there now all week this has not been the case he's there with the stunt coordinator putting on pads <laughs> and i'm like what the hell's going on you know and i look over and i go i go michael you got back back pad elbow pads knee pads I go, we didn't rehearse with pads. What's going on? And he just looks at me and goes, don't worry about it, Danny. <laughs> I say, okay. All right. I'm in good hands, I guess. I'll just, you know, go with it. So, yeah, you know, as you can see all, throughout all of Michael's career in that show and all of his career, he's such a, a physical actor um, who just commits 100 percent. And he's, you know, I, I, I got a lot of great pointers from people that I was able to watch on set, you know, not just in my lifetime growing up, but on set, you know, he's of that Gene Wilder school of you have to raise the stakes on everything. You know, you know, when Gene Wilder talks, you know, like in the producers and he he's he's like my blue blankie, my blue blankie. And <laughs> and he gets slapped by Zero Mustel and he goes and he's he's wet and he goes he goes, uh, I, 
what does he say? I'm, 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 I don't have my blue blankie and I'm wet and I'm in pain. You know, it's everything's elevated. And I got a chance to watch Gene work on his show. I actually did stand in work on uh, it was a show called Something Wilder. It wasn't on for very long. But just to be able to sit in the bleachers every day and watch him do this kind of thing um, was amazing. And Michael was of that same cut from that same cloth, you know. And so I learned a lot about like where you raise the stakes, especially in sitcom and how how amazing it can be when you go from like, you know, level one to level 12, you know, it's like spinal <laughs> tap. Turn it up to 11. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and getting back to that scene in the stand in in that scene, when you tackle Kramer after Tammy leaves you for Johnny Vigiano, I noticed that Michael was sitting on a bucket. So do you know why he was sitting on that instead of just like a chair or something? I don't know if it was a bucket or if it was a um, like apple box. You know, you find apple boxes on the set and then, you know, crew members use them to sit down or they use them for propping things up. They're either like the biggest item to have on a set is an apple box and they come in like five different sizes or whatever. Um, I can't remember exactly. Maybe he is on a bucket. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, he had to sit on something. And obviously that's probably why he had the back brace on so that he could go back fully commit to it and then hold on to me so that I don't end up, you know, smashing my head on the ground. <laughs> yeah, because I always wondered why he wasn't just in a chair that had a back on it and he could just very easily fall back. Like, I feel like it would be dangerous if he was sitting on a bucket. But the way you land on him is so flawless. It's like it, it's perfect. <laughs> I love the scene before that, too, when you guys are playing rock, paper, scissors. It's just great. Yeah, and then you see the the brutalness of Mickey when he smashes his – he gets such pleasure out of smashing his hand with a deck of cards, you know. <laughs> um, that That's funny. That scene is uh, – I was directed by Larry during that scene where, you know, they're all surrounding me. And I'm like, any one of you would have done the same that whole bit. He kept asking me to call on uh, Captain Quig from the Kane Mutiny. You know, like he's, you know, he's juggling the he's juggling the balls in his hand and he's saying, you know, you're all against me. You're all against me. You know, that that kind of a <laughs> that kind of a feel. So that's like that's his like homage to the K mutiny and uh, and Captain Quig Humphrey Bogart's bit. Wow. Isn't that amazing? You never I mean, I feel like that's what one of the things that makes Seinfeld so unique is that, you know, who what other sitcom would they reference the K mutiny? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, you know, it's all very cerebral, this troupe, you know, so uh, there's, you know, and I had probably seen it at the time. I have since seen it like three times, but at the time I maybe had seen it once. So I'm like, oh, who's Captain Quig? And I don't, you know, I don't want to come out like a dummy. So he's like, you know, they're all against you. So I just kept trying to manifest who I thought he was. And I had like somewhere in the back of my head, like, maybe it's this guy. I think it's this guy. But I wasn't about to let on that I didn't know, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Of course not. Fake it till you make it. I also wanted to ask you in that scene when you go to hug Kramer and he hits you with his pipe, was that something that you guys came up with in rehearsals or was that in the script? Not in the script. That's just some added bit that, oh. that we put together in the moment. I don't know who's. I just saw that pipe coming and I just thought to throw my head back, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got that from my stage combat class years, you know, that whole that whole idea that, you know, I'll take the hit here. I always put that in the trivia question. You know, people ask. I always say, oh, well, what, what does Kramer hit me in the eye with, you know, in that scene? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. 
it's obscure, right? It's obscure. Yeah. Well, another good uh, trivia question that we'd have for you is you mentioned who you claim to have stood in for. So, you know, um, like the Cosby kids, Ricky Schroeder, Macaulay Culkin. So people have to name all three of those. <laughs> Punky Brewster. Don't forget Punky Brewster. Well, of course. Yeah. When, when, it was nothing. Yeah. That's so funny because I just caught a glimpse of that the other night, that scene. And I was like, oh, I, I do mention the Cosby kids. I didn't even remember that part of it. And it's funny, like what I remember, how I remember seeing it originally versus how it looks to me now. It's it's different. It's different than the way I remember it. I haven't seen my first episode in years and years and years. So when I saw it again, I was just like, oh, wow, I didn't realize they cut away at this moment. I thought they left that on because I remember doing it, but I don't see it, you know. And I have to say, one of my favorite lines of yours is don't go, daddy, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what landed the uh, landed me the part that that bit, oh, you know, it's brilliant because it's it's this idea that, you know, little people playing children, some part of it is humiliating. And so that's the way I was looking at it. This, this is so humiliating that I'm doing this child's lines and I have this, you know, I'm this 30 time, 30 year old man with the beard. And I'm like, I'm playing this guy's son. It's just very weird, you know, so right. it's like I can't bring myself to commit to the kids attitude you know what i mean i'm just gonna just do the lines and get it over with you know well you also have kramer on the other side just overacting really hamming it I, up I, I, <laughs> i'm see, not really going that, away <laughs> that's that, that back and forth where one is uh, one is up on 11 and the other was down on two you know <laughs> oh, fantastic you nailed it how long are you gonna be away for daddy <laughs> I'm not really going away. I told you I'd be back every other weekend. Don't go, Daddy, don't go. Now listen, Porter, you know your mother and I love you very much. But sometimes people fall out of love. Now give me a big hug. You also had so many great entrances into Jerry's apartment and a lot of great fight sequences as well. So was there one scene in particular that you really enjoyed filming? Um, the one fight sequence, well, I think my favorite one is where both Jerry and Elaine hold back Mickey, but nobody holds back Kramer. You know, that's like, that's very <laughs> funny to me. <laughs> like I'm the guy that everybody's worried about, you know, um, that scene too, I was interesting because they were, she, uh, Julia was pregnant um, at that time and uh, they were coming up with interesting ways to hide her pregnancy. And they, they had done an article about it, probably in the New York Post, and they showed that picture of me in front of her stomach where she's holding me saying, here's some <laughs> of the interesting ways they're, they're trying to hide Julia's pregnancy on the show using, you know, Mickey Abbott <laughs> to hide <laughs> her stomach. And I was like, that's part of the scene. Don't turn it into something else. But I'm like, well, maybe it is part of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's one of my favorite Mickey scenes. Love that scene. Oh, yeah. Did Julia say to you ahead of time, like, you know, just be careful. I'm pregnant or anything like that. Like, was she worried at all? Was she worried of, about no, Michael? <laughs> I, I, I just left myself in their hands. I mean, I'm just I'm going forward. So it's not like I'm, you know, lunging back at her. But I mean, she I mean, she 
she was in control of her physicality. I don't think I don't recall any of that particular exchange with her. And now that I think about it, I might have only had that one scene with George because it would have been interesting to see more because there's there's such an easy way for Mickey to hate George very quickly. And like, you know, he shows a little bit of fear in that very first episode, like, oh, oh shit, you know, <laughs> I got to watch out for this guy. Yeah. And then they asked you to come back the following year in the classic season six episode, The Race. So what was it like getting that call? And what do you remember about filming that episode? I, I was I was blown away. I, you know, I had no sense that I was I had no sense that I was coming back. Um, nobody told me that, you know, I was coming back. Um, but and maybe Michael had something to do with that, because Michael, believe it or not, that first episode and this never happens. He said to me before I left. You know, before I left after the shoot, he said, listen, why don't you come over and watch the your episode at my house? And uh, he invited me to come watch our episode where we worked together at the house. And he had gotten calls from friends. I remember one of them was Ed Bakley Jr. Ed called him and talked to him about how great we worked together. And then he put me on the phone with Ed and and Ed told me about, you know, what a good job I did. And I said, this is, this is so surreal. It's my first sitcom, and this is so surreal that I'm sitting at his house watching the show with his mom, <laughs> you know, him, him and his mom and me and my, my fiancé at the time, or rather my girlfriend at the time. She wasn't even my fiancé. Uh, you know, watching, watching this, my first episode. And I went back again for my second episode to watch with him at his house. So we still, you know, Michael and I still talk every now and then. I check in on him. He's doing good. Um, but yeah, it, I think I think he probably had a lot to do with me coming back. I'm guessing. Oh, that's so great to hear that, that you guys watched the episodes together. I didn't know Michael watched the episodes. I thought he was too frustrated with the editing and he didn't want to see himself. Well, I think that's true too. He probably is frustrated with the. All actors are like, but wait, I did this take. I did this other take. I, I did this funny move, you know, I, I thought they were going to leave that in, you know, and we definitely had those to even together. We had those. But, you know, a- after the years go by, you forget what they left out. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, there's whole scenes. I mean, there's whole scenes that they could throw back in to some of these episodes. You know, I think the two girls at the Gap, we met these two girls at the Gap. I think he has a whole scene at the Gap. Uh that they never put in and that that's the yada yada episode the double dating right yeah. we met two girls app you know um that's another trivia question where did we yep. meet the where did he we meet the girls uh <laughs> but yeah i definitely it's definitely the case and you know you look at this as a sitcom too that sometimes had 27 scenes you know if you count every one that goes by you're like how did they shoot so many scenes in well, 24 minutes you get into like, you know, it goes A, B, C, and then you get up to like double J. <laughs> it's a lot of scenes. Yeah. And getting back to the race episode, uh, you and Michael worked a lot with kids in that episode. Was that a challenge at all to you guys? Oh, with the that's funny. The um, that little boy who plays, hey, kid, be quiet. You know, that, that, <laughs> it's that moment, too, where Mickey's like, I could be violent with this kid, but. Oh wait, he's a kid. I have to settle down, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm by the shirt collar, like I'm gonna. Uh, okay, um, <laughs> that kid. I ran into him years later as an adult, and it was so weird, you know. 
Like he's like, hey, I'm the kid from the Santa Claus episode. I'm like, gotta be kidding me. He's like thirty oh, something episode. I was like, wow, you know, sort of mind blowing. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I had worked with kids already, you know, doing standing work. I had worked with kids many many times. So um, that's the thing. W. C. Fields said, don't work with kids and don't work with animals. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Obviously, Michael's physicality lends itself to caution, especially around kids. You know, he he slides off the chair. The big, you know, the the chubby kid gets on his lap and he slides off the chair because <laughs> the kid throws himself on. You know, that that's uh, he's got to take hand of that. You know, he's got to be cautious with those kids, you know. Um, but that was more him than me. Well, it came out fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Santa is not a commie. <laughs> yeah. That's I think that's a meme going around. Yeah, now. Uh, I've seen that. It's definitely a meme. Yeah, <laughs> it's, my, it's my it's my annual Christmas wish to people. Anyway, you just usually send that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and in that episode, you also had a lot of great scenes with Michael out on the New York street. So what was it like filming those scenes compared to the soundstage? Well, that's funny because it's, um, you know, it's it's a scene. It's New York and it's it's one block long in Studio City, uh, you know, on the back lot. And it's just it's called New York Street. Uh, and they use it a million times for other shows. They probably use that Friends. No, Friends was over on the Warner Brothers lot, I think. But they use that that street all the time for so many different shows. And it's one block and they just redress it and change it. And it, it, it's amazing. Um I remember there was a another show that was on at the time with a bit of a prima donna um, actress on the show. And the, her trailer, a big lavish trailer, was back on that New York Street. Um, and they gave, they gave us the, the production, gave us all the warning. Stay away from so-and-so's trailer. <laughs> wow. I, I'm not going to drop a name. Um, but anyway... Uh, yeah, it was fun. I mean, you know, probably it was probably uh, October and it was probably 75 degrees outside. <laughs> We're all in our winter clothes just walking down the street. Um, it was a quick, you know, that was just a quick bit, really, the two of us walking. So that was, you know, we shoot that like the day before, you know, or the day of uh, whenever we do those exterior things, we do do them at a different time, you know, than the live studio audience. And then they just run it playback for the uh, for the audience when they're there. And then the third episode you appeared in was the season seven episode, The Wait Out. And that was when you're auditioning to be in the actor's studio and Kramer can't sit down because he's wearing those those tight jeans. <laughs> and right. uh, were those right. jeans really as tight as it seemed in that episode? Like, or was it? I think, you know, they, were tight. I think they were tight. I mean, obviously not so tight that he couldn't control his movements, but yeah, they were tight. And uh, another instance where he's tackled to the ground by me <laughs> from a chair, right? Uh, right? Another instance where I'm totally relying on him not to not to let me get hurt. Probably he's padded up again, and I am not. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that was a that. Here's a here's a trivia question for you guys. What's the name of the play? Flesh wounds in Ithaca. <laughs> very good very good terence klufer is the the playwright it's one of those uh really <laughs> yeah it's not a real play is it 
But no, I I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they mentioned the playwright's name in the episode. Yeah, the guy that announces he says um you know Mickey Abbott will be doing the scene from the Terrence Klufer play Flesh Wounds in Ithaca. Oh my god, there's <laughs> another good truth. Who's the playwright of Flesh Flesh Wounds in Ithaca? It's a, a bit of prop uh, acting struggle. The uh, me trying to get out a cigarette. You'll watch me like damn thing oh, yeah. come out. Come out. <laughs> I'm not a smoker. But that's that's it's always fun. It's always fun to watch Mickey's build to violence. <laughs> oh, and then we great. come to learn it. We come to learn that it's gonna be there no matter what. That it's one of my favorite bits in the finale is when uh Steve Heitner, Kenny Banya walks up to Mickey and says, You're in my seat. And I just like no I'm not. Like just give him this look and he just he just you know slinks off he just slinks away um but the opportunity to build into those fight moments and then of course uh being the taking the place of the little kid in the bed and going you know good night when mom comes to check on me um that that whole that whole like you know mickey's so angry he turns over to sleep and he's just like you know just his face is so pinched and he's so furious that he has to do this for his his pal you know and that's the thing he keeps coming back to help out his pal regardless because they have they have a friendship even though it's antagonistic a lot uh they have a, an undying friendship they'll, they'll they'll step in for each other whenever you know i think i dump off the girl at my apartment to go help him right yeah yeah that's the other reason why he, mickey would be so upset is you know leaving exactly. the girl <laughs> yes the rage <laughs> Yes, rage. Tons of rage. I never understood why Mickey said goodnight, though. He ruined the whole thing. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, he was supposed to just lie in bed and not I, say anything. I think he fell asleep. I think he fell asleep, and then she comes in to check on him, and she says goodnight, and I go, goodnight. I don't oh, know where I am. Is that what the joke was? Because I always thought you were so mad at Kramer that you were like, I'm just going to ruin for him. Yeah. <laughs> I just think he doesn't know where the hell he is anymore. He fell asleep. <laughs> Somebody's he said that. <laughs> just reflex, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I never thought of it that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Now you're gonna watch with a whole new perspective. Exactly. This is why we had to talk to you. I was that's the best part of doing these interviews is you get a whole new perspective and then you go back and watch <laughs> it for the five hundredth time. Of course, it feels yeah. like the first time. The reference to Kramer at the end where where they hear her scream. They hear the mother scream down the hall. And they're like, what, what's that? And that's something to do with Kramer. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so did you notice any major differences after Larry left? Because I always felt like the show got a lot more physical in the later seasons. And I thought that benefited characters like Mickey and Kramer. Like, I thought you had some of your best stuff in the Yada Yada episode, which was your next episode. So how did you feel about yeah, those that, later episodes? Definitely. The, the Yada Yada was definitely one of my favorites. Um I think the stand-in first, and then the, well, I mean, the yada yada might be first, and then maybe the stand-in. Uh, you know, each one has a, a, a good place in my heart, but um, I just I like the yada yada because it was just it was a really great establishment of who they are together, too, as a, as a as a duo. You know, you know, trying to work these girls and trying to be impressive, and you know, also the sense of competition between them, one-upmanship. You know, who gets to wear the shirt, you know, uh, 
all, all that really I think that really came out in that episode that the establishment of who they are to each other a lot and how they how they have a friendly competition until it's not friendly. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I like that episode because we see the social side of Mickey and Kramer, like all the other episodes, you guys were working on something, you know? Right, right. They have jobs in the other episodes or something. And and uh, yeah, the social side, it's I think my favorite one of my favorite beats, too, is when we're arguing about which girl we want and. um I just want whoever he wants and he wants whoever I want, but neither one of us knows who's who. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know their names. You know, we don't even know who's who, which is another trivia question that I give that, you know, what are their names and which girl does Mickey end up marrying? Is another trivia question. Yeah, that's a good one. And what wife number is she? Well, she's number four. (laughs) There you go. She's number four been married three times (laughs) (laughs) you're a lightweight come on honey (laughs) (laughs) the cigar here's some trivia for you guys a little trivia not a question but some behind the scenes trivia uh the guy the cigar smoking little person father future father-in-law of mickey abbott that is jerry Marin. jerry Marin and his wife elizabeth now jerry in 1939 was in the lollipop guild scene in the wizard of oz Oh, wow. That's him dead center. Wow. You know, I think he's all of 14, maybe, at the time. And uh, Jerry, I think, lived to be 100. I don't know. See, he lived a, a long time, Jerry. Uh, and that was his wife, Elizabeth, playing opposite him. Oh, that's so two cool. Married, two married couples on that episode. Robert Wagner and uh, Jill St. John and Jerry Marin and his wife, Elizabeth. Add that to your trivia list when you get your trivia. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like the super bonus question. <laughs> exactly. Now, while we're on the subject of the yada yada, I have to ask you about that scene when you and Kramer are on your double date and you're fighting over which seat to sit at. So take us through everything you remember, all the rehearsals, all the prep work, because that's one of my favorite Mickey scenes. The um, I think the fight was completely. Like, I don't know if we I can't even remember if we actually rehearsed the physicality of it. We might have went through the blocking, you know, to avoid getting hurt. Like, I'll do this. You'll do this. But it just it really became spontaneous. Um, It was all about it all goes back to which girl who wants which girl. Right. So we keep wanting to go to the seat. I keep wanting to go to whatever seat he wants, because I figured (laughs) he's going to make the right choice. And I'm going to go with her instead of the other one, because I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to take the second choice, right? So um, we do that back and forth at the chairs, which I think we blocked that. Uh, but then when it came time for the fighting, that was just that was just happening in the moment. And uh, I remember um, me taking him down and him grabbing me and then just flipping me back and I'm shaking, holding onto him, shaking. And he like I'm trying to shake him and he just throws me back. And somehow, I don't know, I didn't crack my head open on this stage floor um but he throws me back and i don't even think there was a pad down i can't even remember it probably was um and then of course he's like you ladies look lovely and then that's my cue to come back up and i grab him again and take it back down and that was all i mean that really was not blocked out that we just did that probably a couple of times and that's that's the one they kept you know oh my that's amazing 
yeah, that's that's one of my favorite scenes. I, I just love that scene. <laughs> I think that's too one of the reasons it's one of my favorite episodes because of that that moment was so spontaneous. Yeah. In that's in that beat, he improvises the line. I think was so spontaneous. Michael improvises the line. You ladies look lovely tonight, you know, and that's <laughs> that's when I come up and get him the hell out of there again. <laughs> and when you guys are having dinner and you're like, I like Merlot. I love Merlot. I live for Merlot. And then the waiter is like, we're out of Merlot. And Michael slams his silverware on the table. Was that something that he did in the moment as well? That's just him. That's just him being him in the moment. Like, you know, uh, you know, he gets that that shock, you know, that shock response that he does so often. Uh, oh, um, for example, I just saw it in the stand in episode because I was looking at part of it last night. Um, the stand in episode where she goes uh, where Elaine says in passing, he goes, how was your date? And she goes, he took it out and he goes, you know, he just throws himself into a wild, a wild moment of shock. You know, that's just so classically him. And that's what he did at the table. You know, it's four times around. I like Merlot. I love Merlot. I live for Merlot. You know, I'm crazy about Merlot. We're out of Merlot. And then it's just that he's got to fill that spot. You know, he's got to put a you got to put a button on it. You know, that's that's about him being able to put a button on a beat. Uh, at the end of the scene. Uh, so it doesn't rest on the, you know, the, the co-star who comes in, he's got the last line of the scene. It, it's, it's making sure that, you know, we go back to the leads of the show and something happens between them. You know, uh, that's, that's just how you tie up a good scene like that. It's a nice place. Really nice. I like your shirt. Oh, thank you. It's 100% cotton and some wool. Well, you uh, you two seem to have the same taste. Well, I like it, too. Oh, well, I have the same shirt. Yeah, well, I'm wearing it. Well, I like your shirt, too. Oh. Well, so do I. Oh. Did I mention I'm a serious actor? Really? I enjoy polo. I like the beach. My aunt has been uh, ill of late. I own a tuxedo. Anything to drink? Uh, some wine, perhaps? I like Merlot. I love Merlot. I'm crazy about Merlot. I live for Merlot. <laughs> We're out of Merlot. episode also had a lot of terrific guest stars including the great brian cranston so did you get to interact with him at all oh uh, yeah we, we interacted a few times uh you know backstage we never got to work together specifically but yeah we chatted a few times i i didn't know you know i didn't know he was brian cranston at the time he wasn't really the brian cranston that he is now um and we all had much more hair back then <laughs> but uh yeah, you know, we we remember each other from that time. And um, I actually I do a lot of uh, disability rights advocacy. And I I called him to talk about his movie, The Upside, a couple years ago. And uh, we got together and had a, a lengthy discussion about it because there was some protest about him playing the role of a, of a character in a wheelchair. So we had a sort of a heart to heart. And um, I think it's because of our relationship on Seinfeld that we were able I was able to call him up and say, hey, let's get together. I want to talk to you about this so you understand what the perspective is of the community. 
Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And from that discussion, you know, we we this is not necessarily about Seinfeld, but we I talked to him about a ratio. Like when you take a job, you're in a position. Obviously, he's he's a marquee name. He's an A-lister. He's going to get these jobs offered to him. But if you're in a position where you're going to take a job from somebody with disability who might, you know, like crack at that, um, you take one away or somebody, you know, in a production is taking one away from a production you're involved in. You have to give back three to actors with disability. And he was like, yeah, we'll do that. So that that's what was born out of that discussion, that positive move forward and hoping that people with disabilities who are in this business get employment. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And you mentioned um, in your first episode that you had a problem with the script a little bit. Going forward, was there anything in any of the episodes that you mentioned to Larry or Jerry? Never. There was never anything, never anything that I felt was like, I need to address this, you know. Um, (laughs) And a lot of other shows that I've worked on where I've had to address things, but uh, never, never on that. They got me. They got it. And I think their, their goal wasn't to go for the old sort of tropes around little people you know uh you saw how many they worked with on that first episode and you know they weren't treated any differently or you know they were all like johnny vigiano he was his character i was my character debbie lee was her character and uh there was never any issue i think this it came out of the ignorance around the word and not understanding that it's offensive to the little people community um and you know when uh, Little People of America was first established by Billy Barty back in the 50s, it was actually called Midgets of America. And so uh, Billy, I think, understood that that because that word was used by P.T. Barnum to sell tickets, to sell tickets to to, quote unquote, freak shows, to, to sell tickets to, uh, you know, Tom Thumb and, you know, having all these, quote, midgets in his circus. Um, it was just a made up word by P.T. Barnum. But it 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 grew in its in our understand our community's understanding it grew to be understood as an offensive word because it was used to sell us um and so billy then changed the name from midgets of america to little people of america and that's how the the phrase little people used to describe people with dwarfism that's how it was born interesting i didn't know that Another, another off the beaten path. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. No, please, it's uh, <laughs> it's important stuff. Absolutely. But I did want to get back to some of your other entrances because we mentioned before how you had some great entrances into Jerry's apartment, and one of my favorites is from the yada yada when you and Kramer walk in wearing the same shirt. And I always wonder, do you still have that shirt? I do. Oh, that's awesome. That's <laughs> what <laughs> we like to hear. I, 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 I actually asked for it, and um, I did a, a Seinfeld thing for Christmas, of, of, I don't know, last year, the year before. Anyway, I did something where I put on the shirt and talked about the shirt, you know, uh, mostly that it still fits, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. I have it right here in the closet. Wardrobe gave it to me. Hopefully they won't ask for it back. <laughs> so how often did you get to interact with Jerry on the set? Um, that's a funny story I have about Jerry. My first episode, uh, he, he had read something somewhere that was like a myth, but he said to me, is it true 
is it true that there's like a community of little people that like all live together in one area? And <laughs> I found this to be so funny and, and very kind of sweet <laughs> that, that Jerry was asking me this. And I just looked at him and I said, not since Oz. And uh, <laughs> he, he broke up from that and he, he realized eh, this is a silly question to ask. Um, but one thing I do remember about Jerry is the incredible amount of cereal varieties that were backstage at craft service. You know, he's a big cereal eater. It was a big, big thing for him. He, he's talked about cereal many times, obviously. Um, but he just had, you know, rows and rows of cereal on the shelf. He could just, you know, whatever he wanted, <laughs> he could have any kind of cereal. So like we said, um, Larry wasn't there in the last couple of seasons. You know, he left after season seven. Uh, who would you say gave you the most direction on the set when Larry wasn't there? Peter Melman, who's a head writer, showrunner at the time. Oh, yeah. He wrote the yada yada. Yeah. And Andy Ackerman was directing a lot of those later episodes. He's a fantastic and well-known television director. So oh, yeah. Andy Ackerman, Peter Melman were in charge then. Nice. And your last episode before the finale was the burning when you and Kramer are acting out the symptoms for the medical students. What memories yeah. do you have of filming that episode? All right. Another bit of trivia for you guys. So uh, uh, Jason is a big fan of William Shatner. And one year for his birthday, his wife surprised him with a sit down breakfast with William Shatner. Oh, that no way. Yeah. So he was a big fan of Star Trek and all of that. So <clears throat> when I come in and, and do the Hamlet of Diseases, um, why did I drink for all those years? Why did I look for love in a bottle? That is my <laughs> William Shatner impression. Oh, I love that. So I did that so that so that Jason would see me do that. And go, oh, my God, he's doing Shatner. Because I used to do Shatner to him, like, the whole time on the set. After he told me, I'd be like, Jason, what are you doing? Can't you understand? It's time to do the show. We've got to get together and rehearse, you know. So I would do these impressions for him, and he would just laugh and laugh. So I was like, I got to put it in the show. It's a classic bit of, like, overacting for Mickey to be doing William Shatner with, you know, uh, meningitis, bacterial meningitis. Or, no, that's this is... Uh, not this was um was it meningitis? Well, your first one was meningitis, and later was uh, cirrhosis of the liver with jaundice. Right, so cirrhosis of the liver, yeah. That's the that's the Hamlet of diseases. I always yeah. forget which one is the Hamlet of diseases. <laughs> you know, bacter bacterial meningitis is the Hamlet of diseases. All right, I get them mixed up. I know. Yeah. All right, so all I know is I only got the gonorrhea once. Well, yeah, well, Kramer tried to steal the cirrhosis and switch with the, yeah. <laughs> like, we, I didn't know, like, what do we do now that we're on the ground? <laughs> right? I tackle to the ground. We're on the ground. And then, like, where do I go from here? Because this is the end of the scene. And that's when I went into the noogie, you know, the head. You know, that was just like, that was one of those in the moment kind of things. Because it was like. The scene didn't end with us just laying there. It didn't feel right, you know, because we're still on camera. So we got to keep going, you know. So that's why I added that noogie. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> and did they try different looks for you with the makeup when you do the cirrhosis scene? 
Or was it oh, always I think that? It was just go way over the top with the green, yellow, gold look, whatever it was. Um, <laughs> the yellow jaundice, the jaundice look. So you also had a front row seat to some of the most iconic episodes from the series. So is there a scene you weren't in that you just enjoyed watching live? Um, I was very close to the set in the tag where um, uh, Jerry goes into the confessional. Uh. You know, and he, he looks at the little bench and he doesn't know how to navigate it. And so he comes around and he he sits down on it, you know, at the that little that tag, I was like sort of right there with it. And I'm I'm just sort of laughing off stage at that whole bit because, you know, what he's he's a Jewish guy. He's never been in the confessional before. What's this? What, how is he going to react to this? You know, and uh, that was a very creative bit of physical comedy that he did in that moment. And uh, I do remember that. I do remember that distinctly because I remember standing like the confessional was just a just a little tiny box like for the him and the priest and that was it there was no big sound stage it was just the box and they were tight on everything and i was literally right right behind the camera looking at the whole thing so yeah that that was definitely a scene that stood out in my mind um yeah and i liked watching brian's scene uh stickle of fluoride just a stickle <laughs> of fluoride <laughs> the whole premise of converting for the jokes it's a very funny bit oh it's awesome and what about the scenes you were in? Do you have a favorite scene or favorite line that you said? Um, I think I, my my one of my favorite lines is "Don't go away, Daddy, don't go." That's definitely one of my favorite lines. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the I think the the whole dinner table sequence for me at the double date is probably the one of the big standouts for me. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and so it, there's so many. There's so many actors in there, too, that are like you don't necessarily know who they are then, but you might know who they are now. The classic example is the in the when we get the diseases handed out um, and uh, the other guy that's standing there amongst the three of us. That's Brian Posehn, who is a very well-known stand-up comic. And not everybody knows. Oh, that's Brian. Posehn. No, not everybody knows. People didn't really know who he was so much back then. And just like one of those guys that like really moved his career really well into another realm. Uh, and there's a lot of actors like that that have come from this show. You're like, oh, my God, that person was on the show. And, like, another great example is Deborah Messing at the time. You know, this is before Will and Grace. And so she did two episodes and and broke out, you know, completely broke out. Yeah, same thing with Brian Cranston. I mean yeah. – All right, another yeah. – another, Example is Brian Cranston, absolutely. And then eventually, like Breaking Bad, there was a ton of people from Seinfeld that were that started out were, were, that were in Breaking Bad later on. It's funny, you know. It's like of all the shows I've worked on, this is the show where I actually had like home numbers of some of these people uh, and talked to from time to time. Um, and one I remember was very very sweet to talk to was Estelle Estelle Harris. I just oh, uh, she was just a, a lovely woman. Len Lesser was just a fantastic guy, just very sweet. He and I did a we did an episode. You know, we were running around doing all this promotional stuff, and he and I did an episode of Sally Jesse Raphael, 
back in like 98, you know, before the premiere of the finale. And uh, Len and I worked out a bit backstage where we would come out. Now, Len, you know, Len is a much older guy, right? But we would come out and we would get into a physical fight on stage. And he was like total game for that. He was like, let's do it, you know. Um, but another sweetheart of a guy who I saw, you know, like years later at other Seinfeld events and things like that. Just a really nice guy. Richard Hurd, uh, Richard Hurd, another really just genuinely nice guy. Longtime actor in this business. Um, yeah. he, he he and I talked uh, just just a couple years before he passed because um, he passed during the pandemic. Uh, but like I think we spoke in. 2019 maybe and i was gonna we were gonna get together actually we we're gonna get together and hang out um i talked to phil morris every now and then jackie childs so you know some of these folks i've run into at events and we maintain contact over the years so that's that's cool about this show i've been in other shows where i've been you know in more of them like 10 episodes 13 episodes what have you and uh this is the only show that i think i've connected with the people on a, a much longer basis because it's, it's so transient this business is very nomadic in nature you you know you work with people for a long time and then then they're out of your life you know essentially because they're work mates you know um but yeah it was it was it's very there's a lot of melancholy around this past two years of of how many seinfeld alum have passed on you know yeah yeah so a lot of these like character actors who like Len Lesser and and Estelle and Barney Martin, you know, Barney Martin, people don't know. He's in like he's in the original cast of uh, Chicago. You know, mm. he's like in the original New York production of Chicago back in the 70s. Uh, he plays Mr. Cellophane. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they don't know that these like these are all like great, uh, great character actors that have done numerous movies and other programs in their career len lessers and kelly's heroes you know you, you every now and then you see one of these folks turn up and you're just sort of so excited to see them like you know seinfeld was their iconic uh moment of being in the spotlight and getting the this sort of eternal recognition but these especially the older set from that from that era they um they had long careers already, you know, but this is just the one that made them a household name and face, you know. Yeah, and that's what I love about the finale is seeing all the amazing characters that have been on the show throughout the nine years. Uh, it's just, yeah, just amazing. And getting to meet them and like one of my favorite moments, too, is is playing pool with Keith Hernandez and <laughs> and Kenny Banya and and just losing my shit because Kenny Banya is a terrible pool player. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, you know the, these these little beats, you know, with all of us together. I I I was so excited to be a part of it. I, one one more story for you guys, which I always found funny, you know, I I was at an audition at the Castle Rock building, which is as you know is a, you know, the main production company for the show. So I was at an audition at the Castle Rock building, and this was before the end of the finale, before it even was even talked about. And uh, I was hungry. After my audition, I went down to the commissary just to grab a sandwich. And in walks Larry David. And he spots me. He's like, what are you doing here? I said, I had an audition. 
He goes, oh, oh, that's great. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm, I'm here writing the finale to Seinfeld. And I went, wow. And then he goes, and I'm, I'm convinced to this day that I wasn't in the finale until I sat in that commissary. But he looks at me and he goes, and um, you're in it. I go, okay, that's cool. <laughs> I feel like maybe – Maybe I wasn't in it, but like the fact that he told me he's writing the finale, he felt so guilty. It was just so classically Larry. He felt guilty about it. So he's like, no, I got to put him in it now. <laughs> right. And to see, I have about it. It just strikes me as funny that he said that in that moment. Probably not true, but it just I thought if that was a classically like Larry George iconic moment, because Larry is essentially George in a lot of ways, you know. So I felt like that was it. That was that was the moment, you know, that that I just happened to be in the right place at the right time to get to be a part of the finale episode. Oh, you you had to be in the finale. I agree with you, but I like Absolutely. to think of the other thing through. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's quintessentially Larry to have done that. That's why I say. Right. That's probably what happened. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank God you had lunch at the commissary that day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So how much of the script were you able to read at the finale? Oh, they didn't give us much of the script. They just gave us really our scenes at the time that we were doing them. Uh, I didn't really have like anything else. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't get a whole script. I didn't get a whole script. Believe it or not, I didn't get a whole script till much later. Uh and in fact, we were all supposed to get a, like a signed script, right, from the cast. They signed the script. And uh, I never got mine. And I was like, I never got one. So then I went back to do some stuff for the for the DVD release. This is probably 2004, back when they were releasing DVDs still. I went back for the DVD release and did all those interviews and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, I said, I never got a script. <laughs> and they, they finally sent me a, a finale script. You know, six six years later. <laughs> and which guest stars did you spend the most time with that week on the finale? Uh, Wayne. Um, Wayne Knight is one of the funniest people I've ever met. He's just such a funny guy. Um, but Wayne and, and Phil and uh, and Steve Heitner. Um, who's I'm trying to remember who's sitting next to me. Oh, Patrick. Patrick's another funny, funny guy. He did a couple of my episodes. He's in one of my episodes, right? He's the, in the burning, yeah. He's in the burning, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Pat, I talk to Patrick every now and then too. Um, but yeah, Patrick Warburton. You know, that, uh, some of the guys that I had worked with already, and some of the guys that I wanted to know. Like I had never worked with Wayne at that time, and he and I had since come to work together on other projects. But uh, it was it was cool to meet him and and uh develop some sort of friendship there you know he's a very private guy but really really funny one of the funniest people i've ever met i think too in the finale episode i got to talking more to estelle i got to talking more to liz sheridan you know just just lovely ladies um uh i talked a little bit to barney i didn't really get to know uh jerry much jerry stiller although i was always a great admirer of there, him and his wife's partner team, you know, Stiller and Mira, which is my era of comedy, not so much your era of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's timeless. 
Was there a moment that really stood out to you from that week? You know, it's so it's it was such an exciting thing to be a part of it, to, to be. I mean, it was everybody was talking about it. It was there was secrecy around it. Um, you know, the big lunches in the cafeteria with everybody. Uh, you're looking around the room and you're seeing all the characters from the show. It's, it's very it was very it was very exciting. I mean, just the energy was very exciting. Um, I do remember sitting, not in that particular episode, but I do remember sitting with Robert Wagner in his dressing room and him talking to me about Peter Sellers and Pink Panther and and him sort of reminiscing uh, stuff about his career. And he'd already had a long career in 1997 at the time when I met him. Uh, him talking about him pining for uh, cappuccino uh, back in the day, um, just, uh, you know, meeting some of these folks from the earlier era of Hollywood was, was very cool. And I know we're running low on time, but before we let you go, can you tell us what your overall thoughts are on playing a character like Mickey and what it means to you all these years later? Uh, you know, I think there's this realization as an actor, when you get, get to a point where you know something is going to something is exciting something exciting is happening um it's one of these things that keeps you going you know what i mean when you have like a launch like that in your career it'll always be there you know to have been part of this iconic show um it's it's meant it's meant so much to the rest of my career it's given me the power to say no it's given me the power to talk about how I think little people should be represented on film. It's given me the power to discuss disability on screen and the importance of allowing people with disabilities access to employment equally. Uh, so it's given me these these other avenues to advocate and to help others. And I think that's that's part of this business. If you can uh, if you can reach back and help others get to get to that feeling, you know, get to that feeling of that first show that, you know, is going to be it, you know, um, that's that's really what's I think the most rewarding part of this is to, that this show has given me the ability to have a voice in this industry. Well, Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. You're obviously a Seinfeld legend, and it was just such an honor that we got to talk to you. So thank you. Oh, yeah. thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. I look forward Thank to hearing you so much. It. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Have a great night. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at the place to be Seinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at the place to be a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld and Instagram at the place to be dot podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. If you had gotten in the backseat of the car, we could have figured this whole thing out. Well, why were you holding the door open for? Not for you. Who holds the door open for a man? Well, I thought it was a nice gesture, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> Let's just put their names in a hat. I don't even know their names. <laughs> Look, why don't you just take the one that was on the left? 
I'm not sure she's my type. Oh, everybody's your type. What the hell does that mean? You've been married three times. That's it. It's go time. All right, take it. Hey, 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 oh, hey, 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 Why don't you just show up early for your next date, sit across from each other, and see who the girls sit next to? That's not bad. All right. All right, so we let the girls decide. Yeah. Why should we knock ourselves out? Yeah, I want to wear that shirt next time. No. No one wears a shirt next time. Oh, that's right, because they already saw it. We'll look like idiots. 